told me this incredible story. Men i Kurdistan är det väl att dessa kortisis för det är så det är så ofta ignorerat. It just took an open mind. Welcome to Think Awe. We look at incredible stories from a perspective of science and magic. Today, I'd like to welcome Christina Rawls, and um, I also like to just dive in right away with uh, one of your stories, and then I'm going to introduce you properly. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. I have many. I have hundreds as an intuitive, but I have one that I thought of the other day when you brought that topic up, which is um, that my brother, who we kind of grew up in different sides of the family some of the time. So it happened to be a time period around 2001, 2002. And my brother, Tom was in the Marines in Camp Lejeune and which is if you know I have some military in my family but if anyone um, doesn't know that's the hardest Marine boot camp um, in the United States uh, for better or for worse but I hadn't talked to him in many many months and all I knew was that he had signed up for the Marines after 9-11 and um, he was in Camp Lejeune boot camp. I have many different abilities from, you know, psi abilities, but um, this was one of the most profound psychic dreams and astral projection I had ever had. Um, like I said, I hadn't talked to him in months and I woke up in the middle of the night, which often happens when these kind of dreams occur, kind of like you just, <gasps> like, what was that? And you, and your mind and your body, you want to like remember it and you want to process it and you're kind of in shock. And so you wake up suddenly. And what I had woken up to or from was that I was having a regular dream and I often remember my dreams, um, but I, it switched suddenly and I was sitting in a hospital. Is he breathing? How long was he out? I need to get his vitals. Jerry, do a neuro while I... His eyes are open. That's a good sign. Sir, look at me while I check your pupils. What's his name, please? Tom. 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 As unresponsive. Uh, Tom, Multiple stay with confusions me. Confusions everywhere. One, two... And it only, I just got chills, which is my sign that this is a good story to tell you. But I was sitting in a hospital and it was dark and we were in the hallway and my brother was next to me and it happened very, very quickly. And I just said, Tom, we're going to count to 10 and then you're going to wake up. And we counted to 10 together. And he was in the hallway, very distressed, sitting down in the hallway, dark hallway, hand, you know, head in his hands. And we counted to 10. 
harm. Christina. Tom, what are you doing in the hallway? Tom. Okay, Tom. I want you to count to ten with me. And when we get to ten, you're gonna wake up and you're gonna be okay. One, two, three, three four, four, five, five six, six, seven, seven eight, eight, nine, 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 Now, what is so fascinating to me about this dream uh, is that I had no idea it was Hell Week. I found out many months later that when I had that dream, on the day I had that dream, that night, he was in the final Hell Week of Camp Lejeune Marine Boot Camp and he almost died. He was in the hospital that night and um, he was in very bad shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know the details because he and I have actually not discussed too many details about this. And so without saying uh, too much more, um, because I'm not sure all of what he would want to talk about, it mm-hmm. is one of my more positive experiences because I had no knowledge he was in Hell Week. I had no knowledge he was in distress. And I didn't find out for months later that that was the same time period as my dream. So something happened where my dream switched, astral projection, and I went to him to kind of help him make it through that night in the hospital. Um, But that's really all that I know. I have a real quick one I tell in my new book about the orbs, but I have a real quick uh, one that's like that also. It's sort of medically oriented, but I was in a a yeah, Sorry, you had said that you're in your brother hadn't talked much about that. Did you do you have any impression of what his experience may have been at the conclusion of your dream? Did you well, ever get any feedback about he that? Was, he was fine in the dream once we counted to 10. And I woke up suddenly at that moment that we got to number 10 also. And um, I only found out from family um, months later that that was the exact night that he was in the infirmary in mm-hmm. Camp June and okay. struggling pretty badly, um, mm-hmm. possibly on death's door, they say. so. Um, but mm. I don't talk to him about it much yet because he doesn't necessarily believe in psi phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit difficult and it's, it's a little more private. Yeah. Um, but there is a, another, I have many stories like that, but there is a, a fun one that's not a dream. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I, I put it in the new book, but um, I was driving through an Ohio turnpike and, you know, they go very quickly. You're in the turnpike, you pay the toll, it, you got cars behind you waiting, right? Mm-hmm. And now we have Easy Pass, but this is about six years ago and not everybody was using Easy Pass yet, but I'm driving through the Ohio turnpike And I stopped to pay my toll and all of a sudden I feel like a rush of certain information like a train come through me about the woman, the toll booth woman, 
who I had never met before. And I'm there for 30 seconds and I just feel like I have to tell her, but I have to do it very quickly because it's going to be a shock. So in one of those rare moments where I actually said back then, because I was getting my PhD in philosophy, but this was one of those rare moments where I said, I'm a medium because I had to be very quick. Mm -hmm. So I looked at her and I said, I am so sorry, um, but I'm a medium and I have to tell you that your grandchild is going to make it. They're going to be fine. They're going to be okay. And of course, she looked like a deer in headlights and she went into shock. And you could tell she was processing, you know, if the information is not true, somebody's like immediately, you know, furrowed brow, like who the hell heck is this? Like what? But she was in shock and trying to figure out how to process what I said and then what to say back. I'm so sorry, but uh, I'm a medium and I have to tell you that your grandchild is going to make it. They're, they're going to be fine. They're, they're going to be okay. So it took a little while, you know, it took like almost a minute and she just decided to look at me and say with tears in her eyes, Thank you. My granddaughter is in the emergency room right now. At that very moment. So I, I have these stories of like that where sometimes these medical things happen. I, I have some medical intuition and I, I've been able to use, it's not about me, I've been able to the information is just able to get through me mm -hmm. somehow to the person, whether it's in a dream or awake. And those are, those are good. That's, that's healing. Those are very good things that happen when that happens. I feel. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks. That's a great start here. So now let me introduce you more properly. So Dr. Christina Rawls, is a former philosophy professor, a medium, an intuitive with several other psi abilities, and with the daily experience of being able to take orb photos of what experimental physicist Klaus Heinemann calls spirit emanations with repeatability. She recently demonstrated her gifts in a workshop for advanced mediums with the Arthur Findlay college in the UK. So welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you, you have a sort of a wide variety of things to talk about. Mediumship, your orb book, and all about orb photography, spirit helpers, UFOs, social norms, which we, we kind of touched on earlier. Are there any particular things that come to mind you want to talk about first? <laughs> well, just yesterday, I had the pleasure and humble moment of interacting with the Society of Psychical Research in the UK. Mm -hmm. What's fun about the orbs, what's fun about that is that there are philosophers I've written my master's thesis on that used to be president of that society at one point in time in their life, Henry Bergson, the French philosopher who... I wrote my master's thesis on 20, almost 20 years ago, where I tried to prove that philosophers could use reason to think about psi phenomena and do it through synchronicities and the concept of intuition. He had a, a great work 
called Matter and Memory. So I u- tried to use that amazing work to, to do that. But at any rate, I just interacted with them yesterday. And what was so interesting, to their credit, people contact them from all over the world to investigate psi phenomena. But, um, you know, they really haven't gotten into the orbs at all. And we now have 20 years of science on the orbs and a whole history of spirit photography. You know, we have over 150 years of history of spirit photography about when cameras were invented. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's interesting they haven't gotten into the orbs yet. And that just happened yesterday. So I'm trying to get them. Um, gently try to nudge them to look at my website, which I think some of them did last night, the committee for investigating these things. And because I get faces in the orbs every time, almost every time, which, and these faces are very distinct. This isn't um, something we're imagining. These faces have details and are very specific people. Yeah, so that I- yesterday. Yeah, I had a conversation with Preston Dennett recently, and his specialty is UFO sightings. He's investigated and personally interviewed hundreds of people that have witnessed UFOs. And a a subcategory of UFO is orb, is like, you know, fireball or some kind of light or sprite or, you know, there's this is sort of this moving or floating light category. But um, then there, you know, specifically, um, we were talking about orbs being involved in all kinds of different mystical and and psi things, including, I mean, they're associated with all the strange things that happen at Skinwalker Ranch, good and bad. That seems like trickery, not necessarily the best stuff going on there. But then there's all kinds of healing stories with orbs, orbs entering people's bodies, and all of a sudden they have miraculous cures. Yep. There are orbs um, involved with crop circles. There are orbs involved with, I mean, there's, there's, there's a long list. There's a filmmaker and um, the survivor man, uh, Les Stroud, I think is his last name, recently was talking about looking for Bigfoot, and what he found was orbs. <laughs> <laughs> and and experiences that, for him, were evidence that Bigfoot exists, but he and, and uh, I think it was his cameraman or someone with him, they both witnessed uh, a couple of orbs, and orbs often morph into other things. Yeah. So, th- so with your experience with orbs, you're taking pictures of orbs, you're seeing them, you're seeing faces. Are they associated with other things that may be of interest here I, in, in your experience? Yeah, I hope to discover more about mm-hmm. all that. What I have noticed, so I've been getting orb photographs since around 2007, but I've never published on them or um, talked too publicly about them. I was doing a lot of philosophy um, over those years. But in my experience now, as I get ready to publish this book, what I've found is that they change and are different for different people, although the process of how they come about might be the same. Um, It seems to be you know, that experimental physicist, Klaus Heinemann, Dr. Klaus Heinemann, and Mikhail Ledwith, his partner in their the book, The Orb Project, they've found that they've done clean room experiments. I mean, these are not dust particles. These are, you know, he's an experimental physicist who's doing laboratory experiments where they're getting orbs in clean rooms. So it's not dust, it's not water, although 
they do interact with certain things better than others. And so, for example, it seems to be this process of, if you, you know physics, so fluorescence and ionization and free mm-hmm. electrons, mm-hmm. where they're generating their own light and the flash of a digital camera is, is bouncing off of that light. So it's like molecules, photons bouncing off of their light that they're creating. And, that, and they're also moving at very high rates of speed. Um, uh, Dr. Heinemann estimates uh, 600 to 900 miles per hour when a flash of a camera goes off. Um, And some people can see them with their eyes also. I can see them in my peripheral vision when the flash goes off. So the flash helps me see the orbs in my peripheral. So they're definitely interacting with photons of the flash and making themselves seen that way. But what I've noticed, going back to your comments, is that they're different for everybody depending on the person. Now, this is happening also in other psi phenomena. So, for example, in, not to throw anyone off, and we can talk about it if you want later, but I've just started experiencing real seances with one of the best physical mediums in the world in the past few months. And, you know, the 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 spirits that come in to talk other than the usual team that works with this medium are spirits connected to the people in the room right so there are certain people in the room sitting around and the energy's building and then the spirit voices that independently come through are often spirits connected to the sitters that night. And there's different sitters every night. I'm noticing a commonality here with orbs. The orbs seem to respond to whoever is taking the picture and what their interests are. So if somebody wants healing, they seem to be able to do that. And there are books written about that. In Klaus's case, He was very interested in torsion vortexes also as a physicist. And um, we know torsion, uh, physicists know torsion vortex exist and they can be used to reverse gravitational processes and, and levitation starts occurring of objects. So it's just really interesting that the physicist would get the torsion vortex photographs of orbs. The healers are getting, and the mediums who are healers are getting orbs who are healing. In my case, it seems to be a sort of evidence-based process at the moment. It's like, oh, this philosopher wants to prove that uh, Psy is real, so let's help. (laughs) And they're giving me all kinds of spirit photography where you cannot deny, I've put a few on my website as examples, but you can't deny there's a human face inside that orb. And, And my grandfather showed himself in the very first orb I ever saw. My mother took the picture. There's my grandfather and his mother. Both faces are in the same orb. If you shift your focus, you can see him looking directly at you, and you can see now her face, my bocce, my bocce, um, off to the side, connected to his face. Anyway, I also, in that same photograph with my grandfather, you can see his neck and shoulders and the upper part of his body, and they're all sitting in the recliner. And that photograph is also on my website. So you can actually see the orb is around his head 
and then his body is extending from the orb and he's sitting in a recliner in my mom's home and the recliner was his favorite spot in the whole world. The whole family knows the recliner was his favorite spot. And there he is a couple of years after he transitioned sitting in the recliner in my mom's home while she's taking pictures. <laughs> and she remembers feeling the need to suddenly take a picture for no reason. And there he was. And my orb journey kind of started that way, but they're starting to change. Also, I've been able to ask them to respond as crazy as that sounds. I've been able to ask the orbs to respond to the energy in the room and there are, they are now doing that. So since I have repeatability and get them every time, I can show people that. I can demonstrate that. And I can show scientists that or anybody interested. And then we can evaluate the faces and geometrical patterns that are, on, that are inside of them. But I'm not special. Anyone can do this. <laughs> I'm wondering if they become visible with flashes... Would a video camera and a strobe light allow for continuous interaction? I would think so because I've seen them on video already. I have some mm. on video and I've seen them on like ghost hunting story videos and just different types of electronics and technology. And so um, since they're responding also to lower infrared light, which by the way, the spirits and the seances also use red light often and where you could actually see their body parts under red light um, in dark room conditions. And here are the orbs and Klaus Heinemann talks about this um, and led with in the orb project. They explain how this process is working of fluorescence and ionization and free electrons. And they seem to be able to use that lower infrared level of lighting, whether it's just lower infrared, like the stuff that comes out of your remote control that level or just red light. So I think you're on to something there and that you would definitely be able to get more of them with the right conditions, um, you know, with the red light and with the request and with the patience. But it's not just digital cameras and videos. A lot of people see them with their own eyes. Um, Virginia Hummel and Nancy Myers are two orb photographers and orb mediums who see them with their own eyes and have talked about seeing them with their own eyes. That's fascinating. How does that happen? And so, how do you prove that? So the, one of the things that's coming to my mind is the research I did for creating human vision models and looking across the demographic differences. One of the things that is in the vision science literature that's maybe apropos here is the difference among the population and, and across genders. Women tend to have a more varied and, for some women, a much more sensitive and discriminating perception when it comes to red and that part of the spectrum. Um, they're able to discriminate many hues of red. And there's also a theory that, but when I was researching, I haven't looked at this recently, but there was a gene that was found to be as associated with it. You know, there was a correlation. Correlation doesn't mean causation, but it was highly correlated. And so the, there was a thought that some women have this special gene that allows them to potentially express uh, additional cone types. 
That was the theory, and it, and the evidence is consistent with that. So now imagine with that, it implies you have a wider bandwidth. You have a you know cone that would normally be the long wavelength cone for red, and now maybe you have a longer wavelength cone that potentially would extend into the infrared a little bit, the near near infrared a little bit. And that, in theory, that would allow you to see some of the things that you may need to remove the infrared filter from your camera. Most cameras are sensitive into the top portion of the near infrared. It, it can make photos look different from how we see. So there's a filter usually added, whereas uh, if you want to see into the infrared, a lot of times, you know, just remove that filter and it all works. So yeah. that seems consistent with what you're saying. Well, a couple of thoughts here. Dr. Heinemann talks about this. He says the reason why cheap digital cameras work best for capturing orbs is because they still have that infrared, low infrared um, ability, because once you get to the expensive digital cameras, there's special stuff done to remove mm -hmm. the infrared red lighting. Uh, and that's why a cheap digital camera with flash works the best to capture orbs. Um, and you would think the camera companies would have fixed this by now if the orbs weren't real, because sometimes they take over the whole photo. Sometimes there are thousands. You're trying to get a picture of somebody in the yard and there's thousands and it just takes over the photo and, you know, quote unquote, ruins the photo. But of course, you know, if it were just dust or water or something, the camera company should have been able to fix it by now and they can't. And that's because it's not dust or water particles um, or a malfunctioning digital camera or, you know, but you made me think of a few things here. Um, I like the idea that there's science behind what you say, um, because that'll help with the credibility of studying that more. And it makes a lot of sense what you just said. Also, of course, as a continental philosopher type, and I'm a critical philosopher of race as well, um, I think about color a lot, and I think about biology a lot, and I think about race and culture, and I think about what the eyes can see and how it differs for mediums, and I think about gender fluidity, and, I, and so I think there are exceptions to the rule. There's no one theory that would fit this perceptual thing, but I think you're on to something for certain people. And I have noticed that I had one medium, physical medium, tell me recently he sees the grass as red, not green, and he sees the trees as yellow, not green. And so his physical mediumship abilities have changed the way his, or, you know, the way his eyes see things. And I have noticed that in my recent encounters in the seances, which are often done in complete blackout rooms with glow-in-the-dark paint and glow-in-the-dark stickers, and um, they can be done in the light also, but really good international, like he, like these, these mediums are really good at what they do, and there's a long history here in a debate about dark room, but in this dark room that is complete blackout, I can see the spirits sometimes and I'm not supposed to be able to see them. So something's happening definitely with the eyes depending on the person. So I just can't say blanket biological mm -hmm. perception here with what you're saying, but mm -hmm. I still think you're on to something. I still think it makes a lot of sense what you say. I just don't think it applies to everyone because of all of those random, it sounded like a bunch of random topics, but I think they're all relevant to a theory of perception. 
Yeah, a lot of these things are connected. And you mentioned before the connections a lot of times become apparent to people through synchronicities. And you mentioned your early work, was it a master's thesis, you said, where you're, you're looking yeah. at applying science uh, to psi uh, using synchronicities. Yeah. You're familiar with Dr. Gary Schwartz's super yes. synchronicity? Yes. Okay, Very so... Much. So, because a lot of the stuff that happened to him in that book is also happening to me. Black Ravens, 1111, A equals A. There's certain examples he talks about there that are very striking for him over the past few years. They are identical to the signs that have been striking to me over the past decade also. So, yeah, I love that book. Okay, so so there is a book on this topic. I was wondering how much you felt that your master's thesis paralleled or overlapped or had things in common with his book. Well, it was written in 2002, 2003, and 2004 at Westchester University in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. um, with the chair of philosophy and the chair of physics uh, on the committee. And I remember that the chair of physics closed his door. He didn't want his colleagues hearing him say that he would be on that committee because he knew what I was going to write about, which was philosophers don't tend to write about psi phenomena as much as they probably should because it has been scientifically proven to be real. We just don't have the paradigm yet. We're in the paradigm shift right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I do think if you were to go back and look at that, it's too long. <laughs> it has like 10 chapters. But if you go back and look at that, there are a lot of similarities to what Dr. Schwartz says in his work and in super synchronicity. But of course, he is the, the scientist. Like his stuff is no joke. I love his phrase, astronomically improbable. I think mm -hmm. he has proven that super type three synchronicities are astronomically improbable, and yet we can prove that they are happening. Um, I just used Henri Bergson's philosophy on matter and memory to try to bring in the synchronicity stuff at the end of the thesis. So there's probably one or two chapters only at the end on that. But um, I think synchronicities now, it's funny you're asking me about this because I was thinking about it all night last night and all morning this morning. Another um, synchronicity. <laughs> right. I, I literally went and I, and I was reading a book by Robin Foy, a classic physical medium book called um, uh, uh, Pursuing Physical Mediumship from from Jesus. I, he wrote it like 30 years ago, but it was re, re, reissued in, in the 90s. He's still alive and amazing. But I'm reading this physical mediumship book last, and last night it was talking all about synchronicities. So here we are. I'm glad you brought it up though, because I found that the orbs, this is in my second book on orbs that I've started writing recently. I, the orbs can help prove synchronicities are real. The orbs can become synchronicity involved and it would be astronomically improbable for example to ask the orbs to respond to your requests repeatedly and then get the get them doing what you ask on photo and film would i which i have now started to be able to do i think they are using i think the universe is using synchronicities to show us that this stuff is real, that there that there's a greater reality, that we're all connected, that matter is important. We, we're using matter. I, I don't like when people diss materialists, philosophers or materialist scientists. You know, I don't like when we talk bad about anybody. 
because we're using matter right now to do this interview. We're using matter, the tables, the computers, the sounds are matter. But I think it's really fun. And I think the scientists like Gary are onto something that we can manipulate matter more than we realized. And the orbs can manipulate matter. You talked about healing earlier, for example. They can Mm -hmm. enter the body. I've read about that. And they can heal people. And they can create torsion vortexes for, you know, um, right here in the room. And you can get that on film. And Dr. Heinemann has got that on film. And there's another orb photographer and orb scientist. Um, I'm forgetting his name at the moment, but he uh, talks about how he thinks the torsion vortex that orbs create can actually be channels for things to enter in and maybe hence the Canyon Ranch problem. Because if there are channels where things can come in and leave, um, you know, just like us walking in and out of a room or a building, it would be very easy for things to come in and very easy for things to leave. So um, people have to be careful when they're asking the orbs, just like in Psy mediumship, just like in evidential mediumship when I'm doing readings now. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I just started my business full time this past few weeks. You have to protect yourself. You have to have good intentions. That's energy. All of that stuff is energy. So if you if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're going to draw in things that <laughs> could cause problems. <laughs> yeah, and that's consistent with folklore and Dr. Michael Harner's core shamanism. It's consistent with Dr. Dean Radin's Real Magic. One All, of my favorites, Dean Radin, yeah. <laughs> Real Magic. <laughs> I mean, Radin talks about black versus white magic. And Harner talks about good intentions, bad intentions. So good intentions is, you know, helping other people, healing, bettering yourself, um, expanding your knowledge for the greater good. Yeah. Uh, and bad would be, you know, uh, I'm angry, I want revenge, you know. So it's it's kind or, of making... Or I want to prove. Oh, yeah. Prove this. I've, I used to be that way. That was the master's thesis. Now I'm just trying to help and use my abilities. I'm very happy doing this work, happier than I was in philosophy, even though I loved teaching and it went very well. But I was being tracked and hacked by intellectuals and academics, and I have been for the past 17 years, and I needed to break free of that. And I so I'm doing this work full time now and learning how through um, Suzanne Giesman's mentorship, actually, the the evidential medium who used to be uh, a U.S. Navy commander, mm-hmm. um, she is, you know, been a good supporter um, of mine, but also just helping everybody learn how to remove the ego when you're doing mm-hmm. this work. Yeah. And just try to connect, use your abilities, ask the universe and your guides to use you for the greater good, because we all have different talents we all have different interests. So, yeah, I'm working very hard on that right now because my ego can get the best of me and, and the past has not been, um, you know, worked in my favor very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there needs to be a balance. You need your ego. Otherwise, you don't survive. That's right. <laughs> so there needs to be a balance there. Um but you were talking about that dark white and light magic. And I just want to make a real quick comment because I just mm-hmm. think it's so important. 
Yeah. I'm a race theorist, so I'm very careful in talking about and associating dark with bad. Yes. Right? If that makes sense, and light or white with good. Mm-hmm. That being said, there is a lot of energy work that can be done. For example, um, we talk about the white light of protection, and it's real. It's mm-hmm. it, Photons are white light. Photons can communicate information, transfer information. Think about the little the disks or the little chips they make for our computers that, that, you know, photons and light can transfer information. But some of the most profound metaphysical experiences I've ever had, in addition to being able to help others, being used to help others as a medium, has been in a blackout dark seance room. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It is so dark. And the way that the mediums who use dark rooms explain this, including in the whole history of physical mediumship, they explain it the same way. When you go to sleep at night, where do you go? My friend Warren Kaler says, you go to, into the dark. When you're in the womb, where are you? You're in the dark. When you die, where do you go? You go into the ether. What did William Shatner just say yesterday when he went out to space? He said, it's so amazing how dark it gets. And then you see the beautiful earth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the dark is nothing to be afraid of. I'm just careful that I don't associate the dark with evil because of Mm. of racism. Yeah, yeah. And we're not not talking about skin pigments or anything here we're right. yeah right. just just using the the language of basically a folklore of historical terms but so maybe it, if we were going to say it a different way there are spirit helpers i think are, are is is one of the terms that is associated with a lot of this when you're in the empathetic state and you're welcoming empathetic helpers from the universe many cultures and many belief systems include spirit helpers. They could be guardian angels. They could be figures such as Jesus, the spirit of Yellow Jesus. feather of the Wampanoag of Rhode Island and Massachusetts I've recently discovered has been aware of me for years now and is one of the mediums that's in the seances. It's one of his main helpers and guides who comes in every time to talk. <laughs> yeah, so let's continue this thread maybe about the spirit helpers and their connections with orbs, their connections with all of this. How do you see that? As just wonderful. I don't know how to think about it all. I mean, we can't have all the answers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, knowledge is infinite. And so it's wonderful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's profound. And I think about it this way. There may have been cultures in the past who had advanced technology, right? I think about, Alien, um, you know, aliens, for example, with advanced technologies or Atlantis or, but we have currently in human history, the technology to prove, as Dr. Schwartz would understand in the soul phone, but we have the technology to prove some of this is happening. So we have the technology to now record what is happening. For example, I was told in my first seance in early August in Ohio here by the spirits, and they're in full body and voice. You have to understand. They are right in front of you. You can see their bodies with glow-in-the-dark paint. It's massive and life-changing and mind-blowing. And I was already a medium, right? And full of love and understanding. 
they said to bring the camera back. So they're going to allow my cameras into, they inspected them (laughs) and found the safest one. And they're going to allow the cameras into the seances. This particular medium has, has been doing this for 22 years in 13 countries, and they haven't really ever allowed the technology in before. And so the technology, as the technology advances, as our paradigm shifts, I think we're going to be able to capture more evidence or whatever it is we need for healing, for growth, for soul expansion, for to help the paradigm shift. We're going to be able to use technology to do that. And the spirits are very aware of that because they're asking for it now. <laughs> they're and saying, bring it in. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. The, the, the difference, why do you think that the change what was before they say no cameras allowed and now they're like, bring it on? <laughs> I have no idea, but I can take a few guesses. Okay. Uh, the technology is better and safer. The environments are safer. You know, it wasn't that long ago, Helen Duncan, the physical medium, was accused of witchcraft and thrown in jail. And yes, it wasn't that long ago. And there's still extremists who think this is the work of the devil. It's very strange. So because there is no devil. Right. So not in the you know Christian sense. Anyway, there's no there's no like there's nothing to worry about once you understand how to do it safely with love. So I think times are changing and so are the spirits. And actually this is fun because I thought about talking about this last night and this morning. Um, I'm My mind has been blown reading Robin Foy's book on physical mediumship, even though I already have seen so much the past few months. But the reason is because Winston Churchill is one of the main voices and spirit guides who comes through the physical medium Warren Kaler today. Um, Winston comes in every every time, whether it's a one-on-one appointment with Warren and he goes into trance and he's not there, he doesn't even remember what happens. And here comes Winston's voice and they have had experts verify the voice if anyone's interested in that. But what I found so fascinating is that Winston and all these spirits were working on physical mediumship because it started dying uh, in Mm. the 1970s. So here they come in through Robin Foy's home circle and Leslie Flint, and they're working on it themselves from the other side. They're learning and they're growing. And so this was in the 1970s where they were learning how to use ectoplasm to create a voice box so they could create independent voice and you would hear their voice in another part of the room even though the medium was in trance or gagged mediums not talking and you would hear their independent voice at clear as day as you know because they're there but they were working on how to do that and now 30 years later Winston comes in perfectly fine every seance Every time that Warren does an appointment with somebody. So he's taken. So time is a thing, even on the other side, even though there's, quote unquote, no time. Suzanne Giesman said it the other day in one of her mentoring workshops. She said the way to think about spirits using time is that we all learn and therefore we need time to do that. So we don't really go back. Yeah. So forward. 
time is, is of the essence here too. We're probably going to be running out of time soon. I wonder, you know, you had mentioned being hacked and, and so forth. One of the things I want to do with this show, with this podcast, is kind of give a perspective of what I perceive to be bigotry. When people are just investigating or learning about Psy or mystical experiences, you can be stigmatized. People get angry or upset or whatever, whereas the social norms for whatever religion is practiced in, in within a culture, it's not always accepted by, like, their skeptics and stuff. But what, what my point is, there's a social norm component to this, and Psy and mystical experiences are not part of our social norm. <laughs> well, that's changing. That is changing because look at Suzanne Giesman is a good example. She's the highest ranking female U.S. Navy commander in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. She was in the last plane with the joint, the chair to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the assistant to the chair Joint Chiefs of Staff on 9-11. She's mm-hmm. very credible. She's no joke. You've got people like her showing you going into a physical trance, channeling Sanaya, her team, and mm-hmm. her voice changes. And then reading from, she has a four-year waiting list, right, currently. Mm-hmm. You've got Dr. Gary Schwartz. You've got mm-hmm. Dean Radin. You've got Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia, right? Yep. You've got now philosophers, little philosophers um, who are becoming full-time mediums as a mm-hmm. business, right? So I think times are changing, but I will say this. If any, if you can experience this stuff for yourself, I'm noticing it's the same pattern with race and racism. People don't get it. They just don't get it unless they've had the experience. It's Mm kind of like I used to say this in classrooms. It'd be like trying to tell giving birth as a woman and trying to tell a man what it's like to give birth, how the two things are not the same. Language doesn't do it. You have to have the experience. It's the same with everything, including the orbs, including the seances, including physical mediumship, including UFO experiences. You have to actually have the experience because it seems like our biology, even though it's progressing also, our biology is changing. It seems like our biology naturally starts to, this is Bergson, by the way, he said this in his work, Um, our biology, we have like two parts of our brain and conscious experience. One is biologically driven and needs language and needs doubt and needs the kind of reasoning needs doubt, right? Mm -hmm. But then you've got intuitive certainty, which happened with the woman in the, in the toll booth. When Mm -hmm. I told the woman about her child, that was intuitively certain. And I only had 30 Mm -hmm. seconds to convey the message. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have both happening at the same time. What to do with that? I just tell people, have the experience before you judge. I think the stigmas are going away. I think they're going to go away in our lifetime because the evidence is building. You're not going to to deny the evidence. Yeah, there definitely is a huge amount of evidence for anyone who actually wants to dive in. And then the skeptics can, a lot of times, if they look at it superficially, will have a lot of things to say about it. I'm I'm still, you know, sort of half in, half out, <laughs> because there are a lot of things I can't deny, and then there are other things I like, well, I need to look into that further to, you know, and, and I also find that I learn more if I suspend disbelief or suspend judgment. Just like, let me just keep learning. Let me just keep learning. At the same time where I that's happening, there appears to be more people that have a like dismissive skeptical stance 
even though they've had their own paranormal experiences. There have been polls recently that show that only about 24% of the people polled in the United States couldn't think of any paranormal experiences that they've had. But it Think about how hard it must be to take just one experience. It's big. Yeah. It's a trauma. It can be a positive experience and you can take it as that, or you can see it as too big for the mind to comprehend and therefore be afraid of it. Or a lot of people are deep down just afraid because of how big this stuff is. You can't control it necessarily. It's bigger than us mm-hmm. and people are fearful, but also think about all those, you know, criminals and people who are just free will is real. I've learned mm-hmm. as a, yeah. as a medium free will and the spirits respect it no matter what side they're on. And they, they respect and hold free will on, as a pinnacle for each soul has free will and they respect it so much that it's, it's up to each person's journey to choose how they're going to process and you really can't force it. I've learned now I'm not trying to prove it anymore. I just mm-hmm. want to help. Um, and it's fun also. And it's, it's sublime. You, <laughs> it's sublime, right? Can you give a, a helping experience? Uh, you, you mentioned the toll booth, but I mean, in your practice, I know we have confidentiality. You can't, I don't want you to, name anybody but is there one you could tell yeah. like an anonymous yeah. yeah i was doing uh i have a few because they happen now more regularly since i started doing this full time um but you can i can give a little i can't i was um uh, doing an advanced mediumship workshop with a spiritualist church over zoom and they brought in uh an advanced medium from the UK, very well-known, very respected, good at teaching. And I was placed in a room with a stranger and we were practicing. This also happened at the Arthur Finlay College workshop I did for advanced mediums in August. You're just thrown together with strangers from all over the world who are participating and you practice. You're both mediums, but everybody can grow and get better at this stuff and you just practice. Well, the woman that I was paired with um, had lost a child um, either through miscarriage or abortion. And that is very personal. And the ethical thing to do is also learn how to handle the wording of those situations because she was she had never told anyone about it. And it was from 40 years ago. And when you didn't talk about those things, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, this, the soul of this child came through both psychically where I was just picking up on the information, but also for her own healing, for her own benefit and healing that like, hey, every soul has a journey and I made that choice. The soul was kind of saying to her, don't feel bad about this at all and don't be sad about this. I'm fine. And we, and we, I made that choice as a soul. Um, and, and it's all about soul growth. So there's been all kinds of experiences like that. I had one just the other day where I did a reading for a woman and, you know, it was sort of 50, 50, maybe 60, 40, um, where 
there was enough information for her to have felt like she got, I don't have anyone pay if they don't feel they got what they came for. And if we don't get messages, I never mm-hmm. asked for payment if we don't get messages, but she felt like there was enough for her to pay for the appointment. But the neatest thing happened to her the next day, 24 hours later, these are called knock-ons and knock-offs where you're interacting with mediums or, or, uh, or, or, people who do this kind of work. And then all of a sudden you start having those experiences. When I teach people how to take pictures of orbs or that orbs are real, they start getting them in their photos all of a sudden. And then, you know, didn't get them before. She didn't have as much come through during the appointment, but 24 hours later, she said she felt for the first time ever in the past year, she lost her mother in the past year. She actually felt her mother take her hand physically touch her hand and hold her hand 24 hours after our appointment. So where her mom didn't really come through as strong as she had hoped Mm -hmm. during the appointment, her mom was telling her I'm right here. And since she was now open to that because of our appointment, her Mm -hmm. mom could get in easier. When you're open, the spirits can get in a little easier. (laughs) Yes. That's, One of the reasons that I'm talking to you now is I went from being sort of dismissive to open in part from uh, Michael Pollan's uh, How to Change Your Mind. I was reading about all these chemically induced experiences, these journeys that people were having. And as I was reading them, a lot of them, I I thought, oh, I've done that just through meditation. I, I didn't need any chemicals. And I've had the same experiences and I ended up reading this book, The Corruption of Reality. I know this is audio. I'm holding it up for Christina to see. And it's 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 what's the it's, subtitle? It's a, it's a unified theory of religion, hypnosis, and uh, psychopathology. And ah, it's, there it, it, is. it sounds it sounds like the guy's going to be really down on all this. But the interesting thing is, so I was reading it just to get like, let me have an alternative perspective, right? I'm on a wide. I, I want to just be as broad and get the biggest picture I can. And then things will sort themselves out if I get enough information that, you know, funnel it. Early in the book, though, he says people that have belief systems that he he calls dissociative, like I believe in this aspect of religion, but science has no support of it as far as we can tell, or those kinds of things. The, The point was the more you have some dissociation type thing going on, the happier and more successful you will be by all kinds of measures. And and I thought, okay, this, this guy's saying, you know, it's a degree of psychosis. You go from zero, where you're going to be miserable and probably unhealthy, to the other end of the spectrum. You don't know what reality, you know, like physical reality. You, you can't, you don't know where you are. You don't know, you know, who you are. It, it, you're, you're just kind of like, you're way out there. <laughs> Somewhere in between there is where you'll be happiest and most successful. That statement alone, and and all the, uh, you know, he had all kinds of references for uh, examples of this. That was a, a real eye opener for me, and I decided I don't have to change my belief system, but I can be very open because, uh, you know. It sounds like I'll be happier, and it and I have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. By the way, that you have been happier. Um, I, my philosophy brain gets in the way now, occupational hazard, because 
there is no there there's no general experience and i'm suspicious of books that try to generalize but i that one sounds very good um I'll give you a quick, quick example. Suzanne Giesman's book, Wolf's Message, changed my life on this one because she writes this biography on Michael. Um, I can't pronounce his last name because um, I have learning differences But for that. But she writes about how Michael was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which is one of the reasons why these hackers have bothered me in academia for 17 years. They think, they thought in the past that I had some sort of schizophrenia or something and mm-hmm. I don't and mm-hmm. uh no no offense to anybody who struggles of course I used to be a therapist mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they couldn't really place me in where they they wanted me to be something you know that made sense to them and I don't fit those boxes and Michael is an extreme case of this wolf in wolf's message he was diagnosed with schizophrenia so he was in the he was and he was experiencing some some challenges that were relevant to that diagnosis that his family talks about. But he was one of the most advanced souls from a medium perspective because he predicted true story. And they've got all the police and medical documents to prove it, which is why Suzanne wrote the book, by the way, he channeled her and she sort of did automatic writing of his biography. He helps mediums. He comes in for me sometimes he likes to help mediums because he was a medium, but he was but he was so far removed sometimes from reality, as we call it here. He couldn't function, but he had a plan and he followed that plan. And he's one of the most advanced souls that lived in our recent times because he predicted the day, time and place and cause of his death. He didn't tell anyone about it except that he knew it was coming and true story he died by lightning strike in a cemetery willingly now tell me about astronomical improbabilities now right he knew the exact place time and day where he would be struck by lightning and he knew that that was his path and he went there and the medical and weather reports and the police reports say they cannot explain it because there was no storm predicted that day for that area. It was sunny on the other side of town. And he literally stood there next to a tree and died by lightning strike. So are you going to call that schizophrenic now? Or are you going to call that man advanced an advanced medium in many ways? Nobody like, how do you predict being struck by lightning and then going to do it, (laughs) knowing that that was part of your life's choice, knowing that that was part of the plan. So I think that there are many different ways to think about this stuff. And I'm leery of psychoanalysis um, uh, because I think we're all unique. We have a unique fingerprint. Our souls have a unique fingerprint and only we can know that plan sometimes along with our guides and our spirit team. One of the reasons I left academia was because everybody thought they had a theory about me that was correct and they were trying to control my life. And they still so are. How, how, sorry, that, that part I don't understand. I can understand if they're skeptical, they have a different belief system. Nope, they're uh, hacking computers, phones, breaking into my house. I had colleagues uh, uh, breaking for, into my house. For what purpose? What are they, what, are, what is their motivation? They thought, 
they thought I was, um, they, to their credit, I was, um, not being my true intuitive size self as much as I wanted to be. And so the academics were really getting to me. I have some learning disabilities or differences or superhero powers. We say that even the professionals have only had on the books for the past few decades. They're I had my own language as a child. I heard words backwards by syllable. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have all these things going on and they just were trying to quote unquote help me. They are trying to, Mm. you know, get me to drink less, which to their credit was true. (laughs) They were trying to get me to smoke less pot, which to their credit maybe was true, but it also works for PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I had had some PTSD in my life. Um, You know, they had some good reasons at times, but they're also trying to force uh, me to be a certain kind of person and fit their theory of sexuality, their theory of race, race theory, their theories of psychoanalysis they think are relevant, their materialism. And I have great mentors, Mm -hmm. but they had different theories about me and they just were trying to help, but they took it too far. And... um, I am, I'm a medium. I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who, you know, is schizophrenic and needs, uh, needs forced, forced help. Right. Yeah. One of the things physical mediums get nervous about is being locked up in a straitjacket, Right. Yes. You no. Know? So right. I'm here given the right conditions and those were not the right conditions and all the hacking causes a lot of stress, which yeah. lowers my vibration yeah. then causes a lot of stress for my life, but I'm trying to break free of it because given the right conditions, I can help a lot. <laughs> and, I can help a lot. <laughs> yes. And, and now, so in your new, in your practice, you gave uh, examples of helping people and it's, I, I'm sensing it's been very rewarding for you. So you're happier. Is that yes? yes? It's only been three weeks, um, doctor11.com, but it's only been three weeks, but it's been going well. Thank you. Sorry, say say the the, um, Uh, website. Yeah, like D-R-C-H-R-I-S, doctorchris1111.com, but it's only been three weeks. I didn't realize it was that that recent. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. And with that, that might be a good way to end because uh, we've run out of time for now. And uh, I really in, enjoyed our conversations and um, I mean, our conversation here and hope we'll have more in the future. Conversations with an S, right? Because there's yeah. other people listening. Yes. <laughs> um, but thank you. This has been a lot of fun and hello to everybody else. And thanks to the guides. And, and that was fun to talk with you, Kevin. You too, Christina. Okay. All right. Thanks. Take it easy. Thanks again to our guest, Christina Rawls, and Portland, Oregon actors Beth Rickardson, Darlene Sorensen, and Ross Laguza. Today's sponsor is Debone.com. The music today was from my album Pure, Fractals 2, and now playing is Kinison Organization. I'm your host, Kevin Ferguson. Thanks for checking out Think All and ThinkAll.com. We'll be back soon. 